get to looking at them. So 1 Timothy 5, verse 19 and 20, goes like this. Against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Them that sin, rebuke before all, that others also may fear. Let's pray before we get looking at this. Lord, we thank you for the day that you've given to us today. Your creation's beautiful. This, so many changes this past week. We went from snow last Saturday to 80 degrees this week, and all the flowers are coming up and things are blooming. It's, you made a beautiful world for us. We thank you for that. We thank you for those blessings. We thank you for giving us another day. As Jake and I were pointing out, I do believe time is coming short. We ask that you'll guide us through your word here this morning. Show us what you'd have for us. And let your name be lifted up. It's in that name we pray. Amen. So today, as we saw, we just looked at those couple of verses. They're very short verses. We're looking at the proper correction of elders. You know, elders in the church. Uh, the older men, we've already talked about that. The older men that are in the church sometimes need to be straightened out. They sometimes need to be corrected, but it has to be done in the right way. So that's what we're going to look at today. So let's read verse 19 again. It says, Against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Paul's continuing his concern for the proper treatment of older men in the church at Ephesus. Remember, we talked about this is, this is not a position in the church, just... This is an older man in the church. And this church in particular is the church at Ephesus. It's under Timothy's watch at this point in time. He's trying to get them established, get the ball rolling. This is the early days. People didn't know how to uh, conduct themselves in a church situation. And probably one of the big reasons for Paul's concern here is the proliferation of false teaching that was going on in Ephesus at the time. We've already talked about that. There's a lot of false teaching. There were a lot of things that were incorrect. And that's something we need to remember as we go through the books of First and Second Timothy, that false teaching in the first century church at Ephesus was rampant. And that fact, the fact of the false teaching, heavily influenced the books of First and Second Timothy, as well as the book of Ephesians, which I've recommended to you over and over again. You ought to read the book of Ephesians while we're going through First and Second Timothy. Now, another thing that would cause the uh, people at Ephesus to be making accusations against the older men leading the church could be the treatment of widows, which we just finished looking at. We know that that was a contentious point, because back in uh, Acts chapter 6, that was the point of the first contention of the church that was recorded, was the distribution of things, goods to the widows in the church. Acts older men. That could very well have impacted the church at Ephesus as well. You know, as a side note here, whenever you do something beneficial to someone, there's always going to be somebody else who gets upset that you didn't do it for them instead. Have you ever noticed that? You do something nice to somebody. Your folks haven't changed that much, have they? Folks were the same back in the first century Ephesus as they are today. People haven't really read that situation yourself if you want to. 
so as Paul's addressing these kind of complaints, Paul says that for any complaint... Now, he's saying that accusations against older men in the church who probably are in positions of leadership hadn't ought to be based on any unsubstantiated charges. And that's a biblical precedent. That's, I mean, we've seen that throughout the Bible. Uh, that's exactly what God prescribed back in Deuteronomy chapter 19. Let's look at, that, at it. Deuteronomy 19.15. Deuteronomy 19.15, it says... Uh, Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity, or for any sin, or any sin that he sinneth. At the mouth of two witnesses, or at the mouth of three witnesses, shall the matter be established. And he continues on talking about how accusations can be made. We'll probably look at some other things. Uh, but did you notice that regarding these older men in the church that we looked at last time in verse 18 and today in verse 19, Paul refers to the Scriptures as his authority, right? He's always referring back to the Scriptures for his authority. How we treat older men in the church is very serious business. Why? Why, why does it matter how we treat the older men in the church? Well, that's a, they, exactly, because I told you to, that's why. Uh, that, that, that's always a good reason to go. But typically, they're the pillars in the local congregation, aren't they? If it weren't for, God bless the older men that we've got in this church, because they are the ones who hold this church up. They're the pillars of the congregation, and that's true here at Bethel, and that's true everywhere else, too. That's the foundation that, that holds everything together. So it ought to be taken very seriously. Now, the word for accusation is very interesting. It's categoria in the Greek. You've heard of that term, haven't you, when we're talking about categories, uh, things like that, the way things are broken down. It's only used two other places in the New Testament. It's used in John chapter 18, verse 29, and it's used in Titus chapter 1, verse 6. If you want to look those up, go ahead. Those are the only other two times it's used. But outside the Bible, it's used a lot. It's used to refer to a legal accusation, a legal case, a legal suit, if you want to say that. So Paul says that there should be no legal actions taken against an elder in the church without adequate documentation. There better, better be good evidence. And that documentation needs to come in the old time-tested form of eyewitness testimony. That's exactly what we're looking for here. Did anybody see it? No? All right. Then we're not going to worry about it. Did somebody see it? There better be two or three. Okay. Now we got a case. Witnesses need to be called forward. They need to tell what they've seen and what they know, and they must be willing to have their claims subjected to scrutiny. You can't just make these arbitrary, we, on hearsay, uh, anonymous sources say, that's not what we're going to tolerate. And 
oftentimes, just the idea of having their claims subjected to scrutiny is enough to make people drop their charges. Uh, that happens. I've had legal action threatened on me before. Somebody was getting blustery and they were threatening legal action on me. But when the thought of having to present their case in court, oh, all of a sudden they want to drop charges. Okay, all right, yeah. Yeah, that's right, you don't have a leg to stand on. If a case is like Swiss cheese, it's not going to hold up in court, and usually the accuser knows that. That's what Paul's talking about. And by the way, just one person bringing the accusation isn't going to be enough. There better be something more. Now, even Jesus lived by the Mosaic law of having two or more witnesses to verify things. We'll talk about that more later on uh, as we look at uh, John chapter 8 and uh, regular morning service. But in John chapter 8, and verses 16 and 18, he says, And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father that sent me. As it's written in your law, the testimony of two men is true. That's what Jesus had to say. And he said, I'm the one that bears witness of myself, and the Father bears witness of me. That's John chapter 8, 16 to 18. Jesus even used the same basis to settle disputes among his followers, his disciples. How, how are you going to settle disputes? Well, go to Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. Let's take a look at that one. we got time. Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. Keep your finger in Deuteronomy. We're probably going back. Uh, Matthew 18, verse 16. Sorry. Uh, Let's back up to verse 15. Jesus talking, he's talking to his disciples. He says, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. If we have disputes amongst each other as Christians, that's the way we're supposed to handle it. There better be at least two or three witnesses, not backbiting and scuttlebutt and gossip. Well, you, did you hear what he did? You know what they did? We're not going to have any of that, Paul says. Jesus said that too. And Paul had actually put this into practice when he was in Corinth. Uh, let's take a look at Paul using his own teachings. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. See, Paul didn't just say these things. He actually did them too. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, verse 1. This is the third time I am coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. Paul's coming to, to correct the church of Corinth. They had a world of problems. He's coming for the third time, and he's brought other witnesses. And if you want to see what those witnesses are, you've got to read 1 and 2 Corinthians. Uh, so what Paul's doing here in verse 19, back in we're back in 1 Timothy, is he's giving Timothy the job of protecting these older men in the church as they go about their various duties. You see, they need protection because lots of people are, everybody's got a complaint, don't they? Everybody's got a complaint. I've got complaints, you've got complaints. If we're honest with each other, we've all got complaints about somebody, each other. They better have a basis or else keep your mouth shut. Verse 20, 
got to get back to, whoa, I lost, I lost our main passage. 1 Timothy 5, verse 20. Them that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. Now this is the verse nobody wants to hear. Even with all these protections in place, not all elders in all disputes are going to be found innocent of wrongdoing. Did you know older men in the church can make mistakes just like anybody else in the church can make mistakes? We all make mistakes, don't we? We sometimes are guilty of wrongdoing. Paul says that. This verse brings us to a scenario in which the accusations turn out to be true. But notice that these guilty elders are referred to them that sin. That's taus, them, that sin, hamartanatus uh, in the Greek. Hamar, that's sin. Uh, so the study of sin, if you want to talk to theologians and systematic theology, it, the study of sin is called hamartiology. Uh, so you, that's how you can break this down. It literally means somebody who persists in sin, somebody who's practicing this, trying to get really good at this sin. That's what we're talking about. Somebody who's habitually sinning in a way that betrays the trust that the church has placed in them as spiritual leaders. When you see this kind of chronic behavior, you know, they're really not reliable. They're really not this. They're really not. You start seeing that over and over. That's the sort of person we're talking about. And this kind of public rebuke goes way beyond the discipline of ordinary church membership that is being talked about in Matthew chapter 18. We're not talking about ordinary stuff like Matthew 18 is. This can be scary, but it can also be reassuring. A public address of an issue can be reassuring. How so? It guarantees that the sins of the leadership are not going to be covered up. If you bring it out in a public forum, then they're not being covered up, are they? We see covering up and hiding scandals in the church every day, don't we? Hardly a day goes by where you can't find some scandal in some church somewhere, right? All the time. If you're bringing it out and addressing it publicly, you're not covering it up. Paul's assuring us that if things are done properly, that will never happen in the church of God. And as a result of this public rebuke, the rest of the church will fear. Did you know you're sometimes supposed to be afraid? Verse 20 it says, That others also may fear. That refers to fear of sinning. Uh, again, uh, let's refer back to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 19. Uh, we already read 14 and 15. Let's read 16 down to 20. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days, and the judges shall make diligent inquisition. And behold, if the witness be a false witness and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall ye do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother." so shalt thou put the evil away from among you. But, and those which remain shall hear and fear, and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. 
if there's swift repercussions, then there's a certain fear, isn't it? I hate to bring uh, modern politics into it, but the, uh, some of the speeches that were going on at the National Rifle Association meeting this past week were very interesting. What we really need in this country is swift action. We talk about uh, the uh, shootings that are going on and things like that. We don't need more gun legislation. We, mean, we need swift punishment on the people who are committing these crimes. That's what needs to happen. That's just common sense. Sorry about waxing political there, but that's the sort of fear that we're talking about here in the Bible. Now let's think on this for just a little bit. If the elders in the church are sinning, they're really the folks who in the church ought to be held in the highest regard, right? We ought to respect the older men. We've already talked about that the last couple of weeks. And they ought to be examples of proper behavior within the church, right? Younger men, like myself, ought to be looking at the older men in the church. Hey, that's, that's the guy I want to be when I'm his age. That's how we all ought to be looking. When this sort of thing happens, and they've sin, they're found in sin, and it can be proven without any shadow of a doubt, they need to be reproved, and it needs to happen immediately. And this reproving is a part of ministry that nobody wants to have to do. Nobody wants to have to bring somebody up on a correction. And nobody wants to receive reproof either, do they? It's not a pleasant thing. But it has to happen in order for the church to stay healthy. Nobody wants to do it, but it has to happen, or else the church is going to become decrepit, weak, and fall apart. It's neglected for convenience sake all too often these days. Now, I never wish to see any kind of scandal in the church, but at the same time, we can't just ignore ongoing plain sin happening right under our noses, can we? You can't let it fester. We saw Peter and Barnabas having to be reproved in Galatians chapter 2. Let's, we got time, let's look at that. Galatians chapter 2. Uh, we should be done in Deuteronomy, we're not going back there. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, uh, verses 11 to 13. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. He was wrong. This is Paul talking to Peter. For before that, certain came from James. He did eat with the Gentiles. And when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. So Peter and Barnabas were starting to do the wrong thing. And Paul had to say, hey, smarten up. Act right. And we know that Peter and Barnabas did. They shaped up. Oh, gosh, yeah, we are doing something wrong. And it, it worked out for the good. That's the way correction is supposed to happen in the church. When Paul saw that they weren't acting in accordance with the gospel, he called them out in front of everybody. And that's what Paul's calling for Timothy to do in the Ephesian church. People who are leaders in the church need to be held to the very highest level of accountability. And if a shortcoming is discovered, it needs to be pointed out and fixed. If you don't do it, the problem's just going to get worse and worse and worse, and the church will fall apart. And now, as we've already pointed out, 
the big advantage of a public reproof is that the other folks in the church sit up and take notice. Well, I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want to get called out in public. I'm going to start shaping up before I have to be called out. It's the same thing with swift and, swift and sure punishment of crime, too. It has the same result. It works every time. And we could all do with uh, taking our ministry just a little bit more seriously, couldn't we? We all could. We all could. When the King James says, they may fear, may fear, that's, that's, that's the reason we're doing this public calling out, that others also may fear, that Greek word is uh, phobon echosin. You've heard of phobon, phobia, to have a phobia, a genuine fear. We're talking about literal fear here. Fear of being reproved can be a very real deterrent from wrong action, can't it? Like it or not, it's true. And on top of all that, there's an Old Testament pre precedent for this course of action as well. Uh, and it also ends with fear as the deterrent of sin. We already read it. Right after the call in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, there has to be two or three witnesses for any charge to have any weight. Then you get to the public trial, verse 16, and if what happens if the witness should be turned out to be false? The witness who's made the false accusations of wrongdoing should appear before the accused and before the priests and before the Lord and before the judges, very public. And after the inquiry, when he is found guilty, the community at large are going to do to him exactly what he wanted to do to the other guy. We already just read that. Let me take you back to my own case. I told you it was somebody made a uh, legal accusation against me. I said, all right, let's take it to the court. All of a sudden, the charges get dropped. In this particular situation, I had several eyewitnesses in my account. He had nothing. Uh, and I, I said, you're calling me a liar. You're calling me, and you're calling, worse in my mind, you're calling these other three guys who were with me, who were all eyewitnesses, you're calling them liars as well. I was a younger man at the time. Perhaps I've gotten a little bit wiser. Uh, at the time, I told him, you're calling me and you're calling these other three guys a liar. That's grounds for pistols at dawn back in the day. And I said, anytime you're ready, I'm willing. Uh, and that kind of dropped the things too. That was a little bit rash on my part. But there's a lot to be said for an honor society, isn't there? There's a lot to be said for an honor society because you have a fear of a repercussion. That's the problem we have in society today, is there is no repercussion for wrong actions, is there? Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Why am I going to stop it? There's pleasure in sin, isn't there? Let, admit it. There is pleasure in sin. If there's no repercussion for it, then why would I not want to have pleasure? We need to have that in the church. There needs to be repercussion for wrong behavior. We can't afford not to. And Paul closes this little section. We're almost done. He's talking about the treatment of elders, he, and he closes it with a very strong note of realism. See, church leadership are still sinners. We are. All of us are sinners. And we all in the church need to realize that. Church leaders are no different than other members of the church. We are all the same. 
Paul's already admitted that he's the worst of sinners. We saw that in chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, right? Let's go, let's go back. Uh, here we are. We're still in 1 Timothy. Go back to chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. See, Timothy here is supposed to protect the leadership in the church of Ephesus, but not to the point of cronyism. You know what I mean by that, you know. Well, you can't touch them. They're, they're one of the... They're one of the leaders. They're friends with Timothy. You know, that's he's not. He's supposed to protect their reputation, but not to that degree. Again, we don't have to look too far to see cases of scandal in the church, which has been covered up for years, and it festers, and then it becomes a, a major issue. Right? It doesn't do anyone any good. Church discipline is very difficult. And nobody likes to have to do it, and nobody likes to have to receive it, but it's necessary if the church is going to grow and thrive. If the leadership is not above reproach, then what is the rest of the church going to look like? We often wonder why churches in America are so weak. That's one of the huge reasons right here. A lack of repercussion for wrong behavior and no discipline. That's the reason the church in America is weak. There are others, but that's one of the big, big ones. So I told you we weren't going to cover a lot of ground, uh, and we didn't, so I kept that promise. I'm all done. If you don't mind, I'd like to close in a word of prayer. Lord, again, we thank you for the very, very clear words from your, your scriptures, very clear instructions. This isn't an easy thing to talk about. It's not an easy thing to execute. But it's very, very clear. I need the clear instruction from your word. I need the power of your Holy Spirit to, to work it out in my own life. Help me with that. It's in your name I pray. Amen.